Good afternoon, and welcome to the 10th episode of The Weekly. At this time, I would like to thank our listeners and interviewees over the past 10 weeks. As always, I'm your host, Stuart Christensen, and as always, our podcast hopes to provide you with the information of your world. Today, voting during the pandemic, antibody testing, and an interview with Miss Beams from Indivisible. Wisconsin, the Democratic governor decided to use voting by mail, while the Republican Supreme Court of Wisconsin was far from happy with this decision. The argument for voting in person is that voting in person is far more safe in terms of getting accurate data. The argument for voting by mail is obviously the coronavirus being a large presence at the polls. Many of the polling officers were over the age of 60, putting them at a high risk. There are worries that similar situations to what happened in Wisconsin could happen in other places in the United States. President Trump is worried about voting by mail as it means that more people will vote, which could prove to be bad for him due to his current approval ratings. While this is his real reason for supporting in-person voting, he tells people that it could rig elections. And now for a story on antibody tests. There are two types of coronavirus tests. There are the diagnostic tests, which let a patient know if they are currently infected, and antibody tests let patients know if they had had the coronavirus previously. Antibody tests are becoming very important in finding whether you have immunity from the coronavirus or not. Unfortunately, many of the antibody tests are not FDA approved and are pretty variable in reliableness. And now we will have our interview from Miss Beams from Indivisible. Thank you for thank you for joining. Of course. Okay, so um, I really wanted to talk to you about um, an organization that you've gotten involved in. Sure. So, Indivisible is um, a bit of an accident, actually. Um, there were a number of young um, people who worked in Congress watching the election results come in in 2016. And, you know, all of the polling had said that Hillary Clinton was likely to win. And when that started to not happen, and to be fair, no matter who you were rooting for in that election, the results were very unexpected. Um, These young folks who were very familiar with the way it works and how to get things done, wrote up a document on Google Drive and said, this is how you can get stuff done, even if you don't, you know, have the president, you know, working for the policies that you care about. And that document went viral. And so people started, you know, they started starting chapters of Indivisible in all across the country. And initially, this the young people who wrote this were saying, we're not the leaders of this organization. You can take the name if you want. But it's a very decentralized grassroots thing. And then over time, it has become so pervasive that, um, meaning that there's chapters all over the country. I think at this point, 
There are somewhere around 6,000 across the country, and there are about 150 in Massachusetts. And at this point now, there is a national organization that um, helps support those chapters, but they don't, you know, tell us what to do from like a top-down type process. So the chapters are very independent of each other. We all have our own logos and and brands and there's some that are very very large and active some are very small um and doing what they can some are in very very blue districts and some are in very red places so you know they're all you know doing something that's really appropriate for their space and and the people what the people want to do in their area and so greater andover indivisible is one chapter in that in that whole big organization Okay. Sounds um, kind of a group um, discuss relevant policies that um, President Trump might not be able to fulfill um, due to his different views. Yeah, I mean, I think it started as, um, you know, a, it was a, initially, a, um, it, I think it really got a huge amount of acceleration after the women's march and those were specifically females who were you know really not they, they were really alarmed by what they heard and um about what the president had done with regards to women and so i think that's kind of where it started and then you know the trump administration's policies since then have you know affected or, or affected people that are immigrants and people of color and, you know, folks who make, you know, minimum wage and stuff. So there's a number of different demographics that are impacted and therefore the, the list of issues that our group really advocates for um, is growing constantly. And I would say it's, um, it's what others has, have labeled the, the progressive agenda um, but yeah, does that answer your question? Oh yeah, definitely. All right. So, um, we've kind of talked about the broader, um, ideas about, um, about the institution, but, um, could we possibly get, um, your sort of call to action for indivisible? Sure. Um, you know, like I said, each chapter of, um, indivisible is really unique and they all have different priorities and different focuses. Um, our, our chapter has primarily been focused on getting out the vote and getting um, progressive people elected to um, various different seats and then, and then holding those folks accountable and making sure that they, you know, are supporting the policies. We're real. It's not about just winning elections. It's about, getting stuff done. So, um, so for folks in, in town, um, there's other, there's many organizations that we partner with and we tend to focus on getting out the vote. There are other organizations that focus on, you know, various different social issues and, um, things like that. So we sort of, we follow them, um, when the issue is in their, um, you know, sweet spot. And then we tend to take the lead when it comes to something like getting out the vote. Okay. Um, 
so you're trying to you're trying to um spread political or um more progressive political values um through Massachusetts as opposed to just um gaining traction in presidential and congressional elections. Yes, it's not just it's not just presidential and other federal offices. It is state level offices and local. Um, and we do, you know, we focus on candidates who are going to support progressive issues. But in terms of getting out the vote, we focus on voters of all, um, you know, level, you know, parts of the spectrum. We really, if we had our way, we would get 100% voter turnout, Republicans, Democrats, and everyone in between. Because um, the goal is really not so much to have the tail wag the dog. We're not trying to manipulate the system. We're really trying to get a government that is representative of what the, the people want. But in order to do that, you have to get as many people participating as possible. Okay. So as far as the, um, as far as the progressive movement, movement has gone, you're based in a fairly um, blue over red area in Massachusetts. Have you found... Um, have you found spreading progressive ideas to be um, challenging or more, more simple? That's a really interesting question because I think conventional wisdom is that Massachusetts is very blue. Um, we have two Democratic senators. We have a, a number of Democratic um, Congress people, and we have a supermajority of Democrats on Beacon Hill. But the truth is that Massachusetts as a state has an enormous amount of progress to make on a number of fronts. Um, and so those are the types of things that we can work on that are essentially in our own backyard. Um, there's obviously a number of issues in the town of Andover that are not Republican or Democrat. It's really, you know, about making this the community that you want to be a part of. So we work on those. And then there are a number of neighboring towns where um, some of our border towns around us are, are more red than blue. So we have individuals from those towns um, who are a part of our chapter, which is why it's called Greater Andover, Indivisible. And then in terms of the work that we're doing in 2020, because of COVID and having to you know social distance and we can't have in-person meetings, we've been doing a lot of virtual stuff. And as soon as you move everybody into virtual actions, you can really, you can have actions in any state in the country. And so, you know, we've been trying to work very hard and focus on some of the swing states. Okay, um, that's very, that's very interesting. Um, my, my only question would be, I don't mean to throw a complete curveball, but um, what would somebody of a, um, of a, possibly less progressive political belief um, um, indivisible and what would you what would you say to them? Um, I think in general um, you know the some of the events that we've had particularly the local events have been very nonpartisan we've had two um, candidate forums where there is no party there even on the ballot there's no d or r next to names and we just invited everybody and again that's really about engaging the voters educating the voters and mobilizing them it has less to do with the candidates and more about um 
voter participation. And then, you know, I would say there's obviously a number of issues on the progressive agenda that, you know, some people agree with, some people don't. Um, I would argue that a lot of the differences, you know, between, you know, what progressives want and what we, we consider the other side sort of arguing against is, uh, you know, many times it's based on misunderstandings. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of nuance and let's just take the Black Lives Matter um, issue as an example on the fact that some people are saying defund the police and there's been, you know, destruction and um, riots at these protests. And I would argue if you got people from both sides of that issue into a room and had them explain their perspective, there would be an enormous amount of understanding going on there. But I think having people, you know, debate these things from a distance, meaning through, you know, newscasters or on social media, you don't make any progress. I don't think you change anyone's mind. So a lot of what we're fighting for on the progressive, you know, side of the fence, I mean, number one, our chapter is focused on voter participation. And like I said, if we had our way, we'd get 100%. And that's something I would imagine nobody really um, who believes in democracy would fight against. Um, mm. And then, you know, in terms of the issues we're fighting for, I would say if you feel strongly about an issue, then, you know, start your own activism chapter and, and see what you can get in terms of mobilization. So. Okay. Um, so you sort of touched across Black Lives Matter and coronavirus, um, which sort of leads me into my next um, my next talking point, which would be um, what um, have, have you... Have you shifted your priorities at um, Greater Andover Indivisible to um, to be more? Um, how do I say this? To to sort of to sort of keep up with the times of coronavirus and Black Lives Matter. Have you taken on any new issues to be compatible with those? So the way so coronavirus has really affected us less about. Um, less in terms of our priorities and more about how we engage with our members. We used to have in-person events, um, you know, big chapter meetings, big um, action meetings. We used to have postcarding um, and texting at coffee shops and stuff. And we can't do any of that stuff in person. So um, that's really the biggest impact from a COVID point of view. In terms of COVID surfacing all of the issues that exist in the healthcare system here in the United States, healthcare has actually been a top, top priority for our chapter for the past several years. We have done an annual survey with folks to say, what do you care about? Healthcare is always in the top five, always. So I would say that coronavirus has not changed our prioritization there. It really has uh, confirmed that what we care about there is um, correct. In terms of Black Lives Matter, um, we did a survey at the beginning of 2020 where we said to the chapter members who participated, look, we can't do everything for all issues. Where should we focus our time and our effort? And the priorities came out to be primarily focused on winning back the Senate, defending the House, and winning the White House. Um, and so even though we care very deeply about racial justice and social justice, 
um, that was not in our top set of priorities for 2020. So as we were organizing activities, we were focused on, you know, some of those elections and those races. And then when the Black Lives Matter issue arose, um, we absolutely made our members aware of events and other things that they could do. But we as a chapter have not shifted we have not put Black Lives Matter as a, a top priority that we spend a huge amount of um, you know, time. What we have done is we, we very much are putting our chapter as we're following the lead of some other organizations in town that have already been you know, leading the charge on social justice um, and, and racial equality. And so those groups are doing the organizing and the leadership, and we're doing the participation there. Okay. Um, so I'm going to turn over to um, another talking point. I think that, that um, that's a very important answer to cover just because of how current it is today. Um, because that, that, but before I was, before I was even um, thinking about um, having you on, that was one of the first things I was thinking about how are different organizations like activist organizations shifting their agendas away from more politicized um, events and more onto more, I don't know, social and more on like the um, less political side, more just like social side of um, Black Lives Matter and the coronavirus. And I think that was a wonderful answer that we got. Thank you. Yeah, I would, I would also though, I would, you know, say that all of the issues on the progressive agenda are related to each other. So voter participation or lack thereof, which is a result of, you know, gerrymandering and voter suppression, that's typically based in communities of color. And it's, it's typically meant to suppress the voices and the votes of some of those minority um, demographics in order to, you know, make sure that they don't have a say in who takes office and, and how those policies are, are crafted and passed. And so we actually, it, it is a bit indirect, but I would argue that a lot of the get out the vote work that we're doing is about making sure that with the total number of people who vote in any given race, that it's representative of who lives in the community and therefore, um, you know, we feel like the person who wins that race is someone who's been chosen by, you know, all the different people in the community. I see. Okay, thank you. Um, all right, so my, my last question, this is kind of more, more, of, a, more of a broad stroke, but um, so because of the coronavirus, there's been a lot less of person-to-person interaction, especially in the months of um, March, April, and May. Um, so we've had like less interaction conversations with each other. I know uh, at least with a lot of my friends, I talk a lot about politics. We're mostly moderate. Um, and what I've been hearing from the news is all these really polarized thoughts. And because of the coronavirus and we haven't been having all these conversations, we've been tuning into the news for tons of time. And the news, in my opinion, has become extremely partisan and polarized, and they've been feeding all this information. Um, 
and I, I feel like that could be just like, that could be sort of um, affecting people's just political beliefs as usually they, they might be talking to somebody more moderate, like their friend about political discussions, but now they're listening to the news, which has been mostly partisan. Yeah, so you're absolutely right that, you know, as people are, you know, isolated in their homes and apartments and um, there's less person-to-person contact, they tend to go more on social media and the news and you tend to find voices that, you know, agree with you and you tend to not hear those voices that disagree with you. Um, and, And that is a challenge. One of the first things that I did when I started getting activated um, probably four years ago was one of the high school teachers had a session in the evening at the Historical Society on media literacy. And it was a really interesting, you know, it was a one hour session, but she basically talked about how, you know, you have to think about which news sources you're paying attention to and what their implicit bias is. And there were a lot of really easy um, tactics that you could adopt to help, you know, deal with that. And one is to turn off the news and get away from social media. Of course. Um, and, you know, take a break, which I do often. Um, the other thing, too, is, you know, looking at multiple sources. So right. making sure that you're not, you know, forwarding stories that are either five years old or have not been corroborated, or it's a, you know, a headline that misinterprets the content of the video or the quote. So you do have to put a little bit of extra effort into um, either being an audience member of the news or, um, you know, participating in social media. And, and so one of the things that I do is particularly with the COVID news, because it is quite alarming is I try and go right to the source. And so there are um, Johns Hopkins and the and New York Times are both organizations that are trying to pull data around from all these different national sources and pull the numbers together. And so it is one way to try and kind of get around, um, you know, all of the interpretation and the editorialization that happens as people, you know, they deliver you a fact, but then they put their opinion all around it. If you go right to the source and get the numbers yourself, that that is one way to um, to sort of survive that. But again, you know, the progressive agenda is not this very fickle, mercurial thing that sort of shifts around based on what's in the headlines. It kind of is what it is. And when people watch the news and they get angry, they'll come and they'll write some postcards to help get out the vote. So I find that it's a very kind of middle of the road, reasonable way to take action, you know, whether the news that you're watching is extremely liberal, extremely conservative, or somewhere in between. Yeah, I've, I've been, I've been trying to um, sort of polarize twice, so to speak, um, and try to average out by watching a little bit of, a little bit of CNN and a little bit of Fox. And you hear, you hear um, all the same babble from both both news outlets but then when you're done you kind of feel like you've just read two editorials 
each arguing the yep. same point and you yep. just feel so much more educated rather than just tuning into I don't know Carlson or something and just listening to him rant about something or tuning into Morning Joe and watching him rant about something you can kind of see where they're coming from and see both sides of their argument and I think that's a beautiful thing yeah there's actually a um there's a website that is trying to pull together the the left right and moderate versions of any given headline um it's called allsides.com and if you go there it'll give you a headline you know some and it's today's news it's very current Hmm. but they will pull they'll pull news in from a right-leaning source, a left-leaning source, and then something that's considered the middle, like the Associated Press. Hmm. And, and so they kind of do the legwork for you with that process. So that might be one place to go. It's kind of interesting. Sure. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mrs. Beams. Um, I hope you have a wonderful, a wonderful week and a wonderful, um, wonderful month of July. Thank you, Stuart. It was wonderful to talk to you. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. And all you weekly listeners, please go visit allsides.com. I bet I bet it's great. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to the weekly number 10 this afternoon. It is greatly appreciated. As always, we will be playing every Tuesday, every week, so stand by for episode number 11. See you back here next Tuesday.